Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. So, Jack, before we get to this topic, which I have so much to say about, we got a chance to do something we rarely get to do. A, we got to see a movie together. B, we got to see it weeks before everybody else. And C, we got to do something we used to do in the Highly Relevant, which is give our first reaction when we get to see a big new movie. And that is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So we actually recorded our reaction right there in the theater. And then right there in the lobby of the theater, so you'll hear all the ambience. And, well, take a listen. So, Jack Rico, we have just seen the new Indiana Jones film. Yeah. The fifth and final film. I ask you first, what did you think? Man, you're not going to like my answer, Mike. Okay. Okay. Welcome to the world of AI-manufactured factory generic nostalgic films starring our favorite actors Harrison Ford this was okay I'll tell you the good things I liked about this one I loved Harrison Ford in it I loved the nostalgic elements about it I thought the entertainment value was top notch a 10 Mm -hmm. it felt like it was straight out of the 80s. Yeah. And that's the problem. This minus will have been an previously unreleased footage of 1984's, you know, Indiana Jones. It brought nothing new. It was a recycle of all the Indiana Jones movies we've seen. It brought nothing new and it just wasn't better than the others it lacked a magic it lacked soul it lacked a sense of alchemy it just wasn't special it was generic it was an indiana jones generic and this is the type of movie that you're going to be seeing for the rest of this century because ai is going to make it they're going to put digital face like they did with uh, harrison ford i think it was like 30 minutes of the film it was a deep fake and it was bad at that the whole cgi just wasn't very good again what rescues this film is the nostalgic aesthetic of the 80s in harrison ford but even the ending i thought wasn't poetic it was just like let's just end it like this because we can't think of anything better and kind of just tie it and see what happens there with the public Mike, something lacked here. This, to me, wasn't special. It was just a generic, nostalgic film starring Harrison Ford in the Indiana Jones IP brand for Disney. Okay, now we are standing in front of the theater. We're at the AMC on 42nd Street between 7th and 8th Avenue right here in the heart of New York City. Now, I'll tell you my thoughts. Unfortunately, I agree with a lot of what you say. Uh, few things occurred to me as I was watching it. Uh-huh. Uh, one is that it, it suffers from the the fate of, of many series and sequels, where after a certain point, it's a formula. Yes. And it becomes formulaic. 
And there's a point you go beyond nostalgia when you dip right into recycle, where you have people literally having the same exact sequence. Like, he spins, and look, they're throwing, just as he's there, they're throwing someone into the back of something, and they're yelling, Indy! And you're like, okay, I've seen this before, and even the music cue sounds the it's, same. <laughs> it's like somebody played the long-lost footage of, like, Indiana 3 and we're seeing it for the first time but it's been made 30 years ago well you know and it's got some other problems too because some of the characters you'd love to come back can't come back because they're gone these actors are gone and when they do come back it's it's such a afterthought none of the new characters came in with a sense of weight of memorable this film I hate to say this. I hate to say this. I hate to say this. It felt disposable, Mike. It felt recycled like a copycat of all the other Indiana Jones films. It's a copycat. It's a recycled copycat. It's a great recycled copycat. It lacks life. It lacks soul. It lacks spirit. It lacks something that makes it feel alive. It's got three big things going up against it. One... The first three are so great. Okay, yes. That's yes. that's tough. That's I'm going to give it a pass from there. But So let's pretend I had never seen any of the others. and I'm being introduced to this character, and I'm supposed to understand how great he was. And this is his final film. And, and for me, I would rather them acknowledge in some scene some of his past exploits versus recycle them in the plot of this. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I feel like as I'm watching it, it feels like Indiana Jones' greatest hits. Remember Indy could do this? Yes! Remember Indiana could do this? Yes! And then the other thing is, okay, but Harrison Ford's like, when he shot this whatever, he's like 78. Now, he looks great, he's in great shape and all that, but he's 78, you know? And it's it's funny, when he punches, it's like, okay, Indiana Jones <laughs> always had a movie punch. And you hear it, it's like, wow, Indiana Jones still has that punch, but the film doesn't have any punch. Right. So the sound effects are the same. Harrison Ford looks good. The, the deep fake, yeah. Well, you it's know, lacking. It's still is, the the technology is still not there, there yet. It's not there yet. It's, it's not, not there not, yet. not for 20 minutes no. of a de aging. Not and not. It for, wasn't working. Yeah, there. And, are, but here, here's yeah. what I want to tell you, man. Sure. This film to me felt like it was the year 2028. And they licensed Harrison Ford's face. <laughs> they licensed all the other characters. And they just, on chat GPT, wrote the lines. No. And had AI direct the cinematography because it studied all the Steven Spielberg, okay. Indiana Jones films. And they brought it. And James Mangold literally just put his name but never showed up and but, they paid him okay. for his name right, that's but, what this film felt like right, man no, you this know is what? the future of ai films no, in hollywood man generic soulless nostalgic but actually that ai film would probably have been better because we would actually be able to bring back any character we want and pick up any storyline we want true. and so but this is the beginning this is like the first template it's the first prototype this is why AI will be able to take over, because this is what we're putting out that humans are creating. <laughs> so, overall, Mike? Yeah. 
Is this worth the money, the time, okay. and the watch? All right, here's the thing. Who okay. is this movie for? Right. This movie is like, you know, let me let me put it this way. Let me let me back up. He said something earlier in the first response. He said, entertainment value. Is this entertaining? Yes, yes. it is. It is. Now, is it entertaining? Is a Disney ride based on a movie you love entertaining? Yes. Yes. Okay. This is like a Disney ride based on a movie. And a sometimes series of that's movies what people want. And, and you know what? People yeah. And, and, and yeah. Is this like, would this be on while you're making salad and the turkey? It's and Saturday breakfast. And it's Saturday breakfast. And you look up and go, which one is this? You wouldn't even know. Right. So... It's worth maybe the first if watch. Love, yeah. If you watch, if you love indie, go watch it. But know that this will not uh, overcome any in, of the other yeah. three films. If you go in with, if you listen to our review, and you go in with low expectations, you probably enjoy it more. And that was our review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now, Jack, we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Mike, today I want to talk to you about a particular topic. (laughs) That, buddy, it's been, I feel like it's been decades that has been haunting me, okay? And it came to a full blow just this past week and has to do with the identity dilemma of the multi-hyphenate. Well, Jack, I'm glad that you wanted to have this conversation. You wanted to have this episode because the dilemma of the multi-hyphenate <laughs> is in many ways as layered as being a multi-hyphenate is. So tell me what happened to you. So check this out. All right. I'm going to set the stage for you, brother. So I'm with my wife and we are invited to a very prestigious event. I mean, as prestigious as cultural elite as New York City has, okay? This is the cream of the crop in the arts. So we're invited and we go to the event, an amazing event. Um, Everybody's dressed up, it's all great. And I'm there with my tuxedo. And I end up bumping into an actor uh, that I've known for quite some time. You know, I've seen this person, this actor in so many movies and television shows. And, you know, we were talking and all of a sudden, I don't know, out of the many conversations, this actor just said to me, so uh, what do you do? And Mike, I don't know, I guess in between the laughing and the event and the context of uh, the theater that I was in, I just wasn't expecting to be asked that question. And I paralyzed, Mike. Like, full-on paralysis. Blanked out. And... I quickly recovered, and I'll tell you exactly what I said, but I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to tell you at the end of this episode exactly what I said to sort of come back from what could have been the most awkward thing in my life. So pretty much I asked myself the following question. Why did I paralyze? And Mike, I think what ultimately happened is that the reason that it was difficult for me to answer this question is because I have to accept that I just don't do one thing. I am not just a podcaster. And I can't say I'm just an entertainment journalist. And I can't say I'm a producer of television shows. I can't say that, you know, I am a writer and a film critic and a cultural pundit and a Latino thought leader and a business and that. And, and Mike, if I were to line up all the things that I do, some of them mainstream, some of them just for passion, but not one thing defines me. And I was, I was haunted with that at that moment. I was overwhelmed with that answer. And I think it's because most people want one answer. They don't want anything else. If I were to give them three, four, five, I would have lost that dude. And I probably would have lost the friendship that we developed afterwards. So I started thinking... If this is happening to me, how are other people answering this question? How are other people of color, Latinos, blacks, any person of color, how are they handling when they are multi-hyphenates, multi-skilled people, versatile, that just don't identify with one thing, that they identify with many things, and in a society that does not allow that? whose behaviors have consequences if they can't pigeonhole you in a box. They can't move on in the conversation, get to know you more, because they're like, since I don't know what you do, you have no value to me. And this is why I think, Mike, that I parallel. Now, before we continue, I just have to know if this resonates with you in any way. Has anything like this ever happened to you? Because, Mike... You're the other person that I'm overwhelmed with. Every time you and I have had a conversation on the phone, I'm always discovering that you're skilled at something new. And I always kid with you because of how diverse and skilled you are in so many crafts. And I've asked you, well, out of all the crafts, which one do you identify the most? And I've always felt that you've been not super clear on that subject matter either. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this whole subject. All right. So is this going to be like an eight part episode? <laughs> well, is it that much really? First of all, let me just say this. It's a little different now that I'm older because I can refer to it in a different way, but I have always been that person that in that people know, like those people who have one life that have one career path that what they do a specialist right especially they, they, what they do is who they are like oh what do you do i'm a lawyer some people have a job that they don't really consider to be a career and they're like well this is what i did i have a job my job is this okay but it really comes down to identity and that's what we're really talking about and how do we present ourselves and based on how we present ourselves then how are we perceived so for me i've always been that multi-hyphenate guy i'm like you know, the Renaissance man. I don't, I don't like jack of all trades, even though I- Jack, jack of all trades, but, 
yeah, master yeah, of none. Trades. Yeah, master of none because it because that's usually the second part. You know, Renaissance man. All right, I'll take that. What do I identify with? I also ask like, then what is my identity? Is my identity is this? Is my identity is that? And my answer would be, and this is something I kind of say without even thinking about. It, I say, well, you know, I've had several lives. I know. I've, I've, actually, I've actually heard you say <laughs> this. Say that. And exactly. oh, okay, I'm going to be straight up with you, dude. Yes. That's a non-answer. Yes. And I'm going to confront you with it already. You know why, Mike? Because e you know what? I, I, I think I just got to be freaking honest. I think that I have a complete right to feel like when someone asks you that question is a question that probably should no longer be asked. Because it's so difficult and it has so many social consequences and mostly negative if you don't answer that properly. But then the other person, and this is a truth that I also empathize with, which is in my case sometimes with you, which is, damn, dude, but what does that mean? What does that you have several lives mean? And you leave the person, you know, this is like a movie or a TV show. You watch 12 episodes. And all of a sudden, the ending is so vague that you still have no idea what just happened, and you spent all that time watching the show. So with you, it's I'm like, I still don't know what you, how, how my brain can put you so I can interact with you better. Well, do you see just that? Do you see just that? Honestly, that's precisely why I don't specifically identify as anything because I don't want anybody to put me in that in that box identify re relate with me in a different way nope you got to relate with me as this guy like okay who he is he is who he is what does he do he does a bunch of different things who is he he's Mike Sargent you know what does that mean what does Jack Rico right, mean if nobody knows yeah. now, I, now, I, now, now I gotta google you and that's okay, what you want exactly. me to do with, no, that's what well, you want me here, to do no, right? no no you want me to no, work? No, no, you fool. No, <laughs> listen, to me, listen to me. Here's what I'm saying, okay? What I'm saying is, how do I identify? I do identify as a quote-unquote multi-hyphenate. I don't necessarily use that term, and we'll get into the terms people use for it. But for me, it depends on the room. What room am I in? What environment am I in? If I am at an event that I've gotten invited to as a film critic, you meet me, I'm a film critic. Sometimes if I'm at a party, that that's that's all I'll say. I don't want to go into like, oh, I do this, and I have a TV show, and yeah, and a podcast, and yeah, and a filmmaker, and a writer, and I write music. You know, I'm not going to go into all of that. Who cares? Nobody cares. They just want to know one thing. So I'll give them the one thing that that's easy to say. If I say film critic, most people go, oh, really? Oh, wow. What'd you see? What what films do you like? Ah, we can talk about film. If I'm in a different kind of space, I don't necessarily want to be seen as a film critic. Maybe I want to be seen as a filmmaker. What's my agenda in this space? Well, Why I was just going to say that here? if you're hanging out with right. like Jordan Peele right. and Guillermo del Toro and you go, yeah, I'm a film critic. I don't think that's going to ride it's, well with those guys there. Well, again, it depends. It depends also on the party and why they're there. Yeah, but because wouldn't, you, well, wouldn't you feel better saying filmmaker? But see, now you're code switching on titles. on identity. Yes. You're, yes. You're yes, identity yes. code switching. Yes. yes. Yes, I am. Yes. Yo, that's what but every multi-hyphenate does. But is that unethical? What do you mean unethical? Because you're not what bringing kind of... your whole self to a part. You're just bringing a selective oh. part to be able yes. to manipulate yes. that moment for your for yes. best. Yes. Versus me having somebody else's label and what that means to them manipulating how they're going to respond to me. I am control 
of how you perceive me because based on how you said is that ethical are we talking about identity ethics okay <laughs> what are what are i what are what are identity ethics like what what is ethical we're, like i think we're yeah. making this stuff up as we exactly speak. exactly because no one's ever so, really done and had a, no, an in-depth no. conversation about these I, multi-hyphenates and the psychological I'm, nuances I'm, of what it means for your social see, outcome for your social but, success that's everything. Look, you look at anybody's Instagram title. They don't put what they would put for their job. They'll put, you know, this cat lover, this spreader of wisdom. They self-identify. They add their own multi-hyphenates that may have nothing to do with anything they do to earn money. It sounds like we're at odds here, right? Because it's not easy to just have a universal title unless you're a specialist at something like I am a doctor. I am a neuroscientist. Okay. My brain now can do the following. Oh, I believe you live in a good neighborhood. You drive a great car. You probably are wealthy and can vacation everywhere. You're probably intelligent as well. And uh, I'm sure that you have so many people that love you because you've saved their lives. Um, I am sure you're empathetic. Mike, now I have all this great information on this person that allows me not to manipulate them, but that allows me to empathize with them and relate to them on a deep emotional and psychological level. It's like linking up with another brain computer. Now, yes, I am preconditioned with all this other stuff. But if you're like an open-minded global citizen, you know that you're going at this in a positive way. So why is this negative? Well, first of all, I don't necessarily think it's negative because I'm really thinking now, you're, you're really making me think about the dynamic now. If someone says, okay, so what do you do? Like I've asked many people that, what do you do? I say, what do you do? Very often when they say what they do, that's also a way of saying this is who I am. Does that make you uncomfortable, that question? Me? No, not at all. If like I, I said, it depends you, on if the If I work. ask you right now, Mike, what do you do? What is your answer? I'm a co-host on a podcast. Okay, so you're a podcaster <laughs> to me. <laughs> now, that's it. That's I'm it. I'm a podcaster. That's it. So now that's our conversation is going to be in that yeah. vein. Now, for me, because I'm a multi I don't agree with that, with what you said. Oh, I think you're much I, more I, than I, that, and I think there's a well, way of saying it. All right, but here's the thing. I I would not really say that. I'm, I'm only I was being sarcastic because I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> right now. Okay, but what I say, what I would say though is, uh, coming back to what I said before, it really depends on the room because of how you will be judged based on what you say you do. You will be judged based on what you say you do. Okay. Speaking of judgment, speaking of judgment, yes, I want to ask you mm-hmm. why is it that when people are asked that question and identifying with your whole skill set, why is that a stigma that diminishes somehow your value in society? When did that happen? And, and why is versatility seen as like blue collar, poor person? Why is the representation of someone who is poor and desperate as opposed to someone like a Leonardo da Vinci who's admired for their many skills. Why is that? 
Uh, you want me? Are you, is that a rhetorical uh, question? No, I'm asking you to see. Okay. Have you, oh, I have total answers. Okay. Totally. What's answers. your answer? I'll tell you why. All right. My answer is this. First of all, the answer is still begs another question. Okay. In society, there are two extremes in terms of the multi-hyphenate and, and really more if you want to break it down. But yes, I think being a multi-hyphenate in general in society is kind of looked down on, especially if you're a person of color, because, oh, you got a side hustle or, or you, you, you. So know, that's it. The gig you, economy, yeah. the side the hustling gig. has really yeah, created, yeah, especially yeah. on social media. It's like you're an amateur. You're not a professional because you can't afford a job that can give you a six figure salary or, on your own. Or you loser. Or, or yeah, that's or, what they're uh, saying. Well, you, you, they're saying that, but they're also saying you, you're just doing that for the money. It's not something you really care about. This is not something you, you know. You just you, you're you're you know you're a multi hyphenate. Okay, now people can brag about being a multi hyphenate. I think it's probably more accepted now in general to be a multi hyphenate, but it's still not something that. You know, again, unless that is your identity, like you're forging the identity of this, that, the other thing, that's, that's, but here's the thing in society, the only place where you're allowed to be a multi-hyphenate is when you're an artist. You can be a Donald Glover or an Ice Cube or, or a, you know, or a Cher or anybody. Oh, you're an actress and a, and a singer and a, and a composer. And a, if you're an artist, you can be a multi-hyphenate and it's to your advantage, even if you're a person of color. But in the in the regular world, well, okay, yeah, you do all these things, but what do you do? That is like, so you, interesting. You're right, because like, okay, for a Latino one, if you look at Robert Rodriguez, this guy is mm-hmm. a super multi-hyphenate. This guy exactly. writes his own movies, directs his own movies, produces his own movies, composes the soundtrack and the score of his own movies. He does it all like on the other and side. you don't look down on him no you look not up at to all him. you look exactly. you totally look up to him but then if you're a guy who is a let's say a content creator right but then right. you're also on the side have an e-commerce job and then you have like a tesla business here for car renting and then you have i don't know a youtube channel here to me that's called an entrepreneur right that's a guy when they who- see you're right. Yes, but 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 he's a whole multi hyphenate that can do all these things. Therefore, he does all these things, and we should look at those people as like unicorns, as like the most talented people. We should hire them, and you know why? Because they can do the work of five people for one salary. We should completely look at them differently. But no, Mike, no, we're not going to do that. Why? Here's just maybe a view jealousy. Maybe the fact that you're so damn talented and I'm not, I'm just a damn specialist that irks me. But then who's making more money? I think that ever since the industrial revolution, when the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts were looking to really build up America, especially New York City. You know, you're hiring people not on a contractual basis. They, they were pretty much the idea of careers, a professional career started at these businesses. And then you went through World War II in the same way. You know, you did one thing and you did that one thing very, very well. But then the 60s, the 70s, the 80s happened, you know, there was a a freedom to experiment, not only with drugs and gender and politics and thoughts and philosophy, but also with art. To do three, four, five things 
and not be um, judged by it. I don't think at that moment it was it was a sense of judgment, but I think what ended up happening, especially at the turn of the century, and this is just my opinion, Mike, that the class, the elite class, has always seen the person who does way too many things as a hobbyist, mm. as someone who should only really do something so well that makes a living because that's the thing that society needs. That if you're right. not making money off of your other things, then society doesn't need that. And that's just for your personal enrichment. Well, you know, I think you actually hit it on the nail, just the perception of the hobbyist versus the quote unquote professional. If you do one thing, you're a professional. If you do a bunch of things, well, those are hobbies, those are side gigs, those are you know, the multi-hyphenate, you're, well, it's jack of all And you're not master, respected not. for your hobbies. And you're not respected. So for hobbies. me, they are. And so for me, when I'm in a different space, it depends on why I'm there and depends on who I'm meeting and how I want to be connected to. There's certain spaces because where you don't really want to say what you are. Yes. You said it's like identity code switching. To me, that's the essence of what code switching is. You know the codes to, to enter <laughs> right. the space. Right. Like, hello, yes, I'm Mr. Who. Yes, I, yes, I'm on the list. I'm a film critic. I work for so-and-so. Yes, I'm on the list. I'm uh, the producer. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> who, who are you? Okay. Uh, and too often, like you've said, what you do is, like, if you work at the gas station, is that what you are? Like, I'm a gas station attendant. Does anybody say that? Right. And somebody will say, listen, this is what I do. It's not, you know, who I right. am. They pre preface it too. I know, but but then, like but then even the question of who I am, I go, bro, you really know who you are? That what age are you that you're saying that? We know that who you are is not going to be who you are forever, and that's like a whole other thing, man. And I, we're going to get into a, an episode about identity alone and the definition oh, yes. of identity. I think oh, this yes. is more like a, a an entry point to that conversation, but brother. The fact that there's these socioeconomic class consequences for how you identify in a particular room and how that defines your success and your upward or downward mobility in that moment, damn, Mike, you know, it makes me think of two things. One, should we somehow ban the question, what do you do? Because they don't ask this question in Europe. They don't ask this question internationally. The question is asked here in America. So what do you do? And it comes from two mindsets. One, it comes from the mindset of the person that just truly has no clue of who you are. And they're just so curious to kind of get your whole context that they ask these questions without understanding how that makes the other person feel. And then there's like the mindset of the rich person who does it just to diminish you and to fuck with you. It's a flex when, when a white person might do it to a person of color, right? These are just my intuitions when I've seen it happen. And in my opinion as well, I mean, let's look at it. What is the threat when someone asks you, what do you do? Scenario A, you're broke. You've been having fun all night long. Oh, man, it's great. You meet a person, a girl. Let's, let's just say it's, it's a woman. And she goes, so what do you do? Now, you like her. She's hot. 
damn it, you'd want to marry her. But you know what? You just got laid off. Maybe you got fired. Maybe you're in transition. How the fuck do you answer that question, bro? Without knowing... Because you, you, your spidey sense kicks in right there, right then. Right there, right then. Bing! Oh my god! I'm going to lose her if I say the wrong thing. Because we know that women want to hear something that excites them. We know that men want that too. Everybody wants to hear something exciting. And if you deliver a fart a wet fart at that. Like, well, you know, I'm figuring it out, and um, I work at a bodega. It, I'm a stock boy out of the boat. What do you say there? So, if you're rich, you love answering that question. But when you're broke, or when you don't feel confident in yourself, you shaking your boots. Now, for me, it was a very unique situation. I just felt like I had a lot to say, and I didn't know which one to say in that moment because I feel like if I didn't say the right thing in that moment, then I wouldn't have synced with this person, and then we wouldn't have had the great night that we did. So should we eliminate this word, Mike, this question? What do you do? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, you say, what are the reasons for people asking that question? And I know myself being you know, a journalist, a writer, all of that, I ask questions like that. So I might say, so what do you do that you're here? Or why are you here? How did you end up here? You know, these the kind of things I may ask. Yeah. Uh, and I have literally asked people. Rephrasing the question, do do? what do you do with another question? You go with another question. But but again, if the if the intent is to get to know somebody. I ask, and tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself. We well, see, and that's a good question too. Yeah. You know, and I've seen Jack, you, you, Jack Rico is very charming at parties, by the way. <laughs> and, and so, but you know, what's interesting about the whole multi-hyphenate thing, because I, I know you did some research. I'd love to hear what you discovered, but I did a little too. And they, I, I discovered this other phrase they have it called a multi-potentialite. And I was like, Okay. And this is a multi-potentialite is a term coined by this guy, Emily, uh, Emily Wapnick, to describe individuals with many interests and creative pursuits, many paths, and they pursue them all or sequentially or simultaneously or both. And what I like about just the word, uh, which I guess it's a made up word, multi-potentialite, is that, well, yeah, all of these things that you're working, all these things that you're doing, they give the, they have the potential to open up all kinds of doors economically, creatively, socially for you. So the multi-hyphenate really is living a better life because they're getting to know more of life and themselves. So it's kind of crazy that that could be looked down upon or, you know, you mentioned jealous, or is it because most people are trapped into a life they don't like? And when you sound like this person who's doing all these things, it's better to think of you as frivolous and, and as a hobbyist as opposed to, oh, well, yeah, well, I have a real job. Right. What do you do is such a superficial question because it reduces you to the job that they right. want to hear so they know what kind of value you bring to them so that they can start selling, pitching, and using you at that moment. This is my perception from all the experiences I've had of that moment. Not every time someone has asked me that question, have I been in a good place mentally, professionally in my life. 
And it sucks to hear that because you can see it in their face how disappointed they are in you. They were expecting something better. Like the physical doesn't match with the substance. Like, uh, I don't know about you. Fuck you, man, for, for looking at me like that. Screw you. Now I'm going to get back at all of you because now I'm going to get a job and I'm going to throw it in your face. How you like that? Sorry, Mike. Got a little carried away there. Why? Well, you got some, some social issues there, I see. Well, now yeah. it's nice to say that, but it, it, it's a question that I don't think other people, if we can, let's not ask that question anymore, whether the person's doing well or the person's not. Let's rephrase the question. And Mike, here's my recommendation for how to answer something when you're a multi-hyphenate who does many things and you just don't want to be reduced to one superficial thing. And I, what I ended up saying to this actor at that moment is instead of saying I'm a podcaster, which I am, or a film critic, which I am, uh, or a television, former television host, which I have and I am, I said to him, I work at New Majority Ready, my own agency. And in my agency, what we do is we try to fight for diversity and inclusivity on the screen. I have spent my life, my whole career, fighting for media equity on the big screen, on the small screen, in pop culture. I do not see myself represented historically in this country, and I think that is damaging. So through my company, what we do is we try to uplift diverse and talented voices and create inclusive storytelling for everyone. And, wait, and then when you say that, do they go... Wow. Yes. They actually go, <laughs> he goes, and, and you know, and, and, and they, they shake your hands. Like, oh, I want to know more about you. Like, and why I, I didn't tell him my, that I'm the managing part. No, because new majority is something we, it, it's my company that we created recently. Okay. So it's not a household name. He's not going to know it. I know this. So by understanding the social context of society, I know what people want to hear and what they don't. And so, if you can shift your answer from specific skills to passion and values of why you do that work, then I believe you will answer the question, but with depth to the point that you might emotionally connect with the other person because they probably have never heard of someone answer it like that. So for example, let's say you're a VP of Latino music at Spotify. Instead of saying, I am the VP of Latino music at Spotify, say, I work in music and my passion and ultimate goal is to highlight the experiences and talents of my people. This works because you just made it sound relatable, engaging, and at the same time, it kind of builds up your own personal brand. You're someone I want to follow now. You're someone that just sounds inspirational. You want to add something there, brother? Oh, no. I was going to say, now I just go to parties and I say, I'm with Jack Rico. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, man, you know, whatever way you want to answer this question, um, I think that it has to come from deep within. Uh, I've been asked so many questions like that throughout my whole life that, you know, has culminated in this episode. And Mike, I think that for people of color, it's slightly different. You feel it 
on a class level. You feel it sometimes on a bias level. You feel like you're being judged. And that's why it's important to understand you, who you are, and what you're bringing to that room, to that space. Think of it in human terms. Don't think of it on professional terms. What human is walking in there and what value, charm, charisma, you're funny, you're someone who um, is empathetic or someone who can synthesize complexities about, you know, race and identity and pop culture. Maybe you're a huge, you know, pop culture fan and through you, I, I update myself on what's going on in the world. Those are all human things that you bring to yourself to a party that makes people just love you. So how do you articulate that? That's the answer to what do you do? That's it for this episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and now on YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our start up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.